Hey everybody, welcome to First Baptist Church on your Sunday morning. So glad you could join us. Uh, really, really excited for this message this morning. Really excited to share it with you, what the, uh, the Lord shared with me. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. Uh, would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, I, I love you so much and I thank you for everything, Lord. Everything that you've given us in life and everything that you've taken away, God, is for your glory and your glory alone. And we praise you here in this moment for that, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for the message that you've given. We praise you for the word, Lord, as it is our instruction. God, guide us here today. Help me, Lord, and use me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to continue on in our study of Matthew, and this morning that finds us in Matthew uh, chapter 21 and verse 18. Now, uh, if you'll remember, we talked about the, the triumphal entry and also the uh, cleansing of the temple last week. And we're going to tie that into what we're going through this week because as we will find, uh, Matthew actually writes uh, some of those events a little out of order. It's not chronological in Matthew, but Mark does have them chronologically ordered. And, and so uh, what I'm doing is I'm going from the ordering chronologically anyway uh, that Mark gives us. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Not going to spend too much time on it, but just, uh, just so you know um, that there, are, there is an order of events here and it's important for us to know the order of events, right? So let's get started. In verse 18, Matthew 21, in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say this uh, to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So this is, uh, there, there are a lot of bold, bold statements that Jesus is making here. Uh, lots of truth here, and so let's just dig in. Now, we see here a peculiar encounter as Jesus approaches a fig tree uh, that has the appearance of something that it isn't. And now isn't that a lesson to us in our lives about having the appearance of being one way, but actually, upon further inspection, being quite different? Now, it's not until further inspection that we, we see that the tree isn't bearing fruit, though it may appear to be bearing fruit from a distance. And this is uh, why Jesus goes up to it, inspects it, finds no fruit, curses it. Now, Jesus teaches his disciples, and us by extension, because remember, all the teaching of the Bible, all the teaching of the Bible is for a specific people at a specific time, right, in a specific place. But also, the Word of God is for us by extension and everyone who would come after right? It is for all of us. It is for all of the people of God. It is so that we can know God and know him through his word. So he teaches his disciples at that time, and then us by extension, about the difference be between the appearances of things and real faith. That's important for us. And so we're going to uh, dive into that here this morning. Now, this is an incredible analogy that the, that the Lord is showing us about the temple and what it has become. Just by approaching this fig tree and in his hunger, Jesus is going to give us a teaching about what the temple is and what it has become. 
Now, he's been traveling, Jesus has. He's been traveling with his people. He's been hungry. He saw the, tree, the, the, the fig tree, and, and because it was in leaf, he approaches it, and he wants to gather fruit from it, approaches it, wants to gather fruit from it, but then when he gets there, it's something different than what he expected. Now, it was Passover time, okay? Remember, it was Passover time just before the time that we are in now, just before the crucifixion, which we've already celebrated in, mem- uh, in, in memory of what's uh, happened, what's gone on before we came here, what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished, and then where we are now, we are here now thousands of years later, but we are still celebrating and remembering what's happened, and so we're in that time. This is the time that we're talking about, which is the same time that we're in now. Now, fig trees would have uh, had small edible fruit on them. A fig tree is said to have the fruit before it has the leaves. Now, they would have had uh, small edible fruit on them, though uh, not fully ripe yet. Okay, not fully ripe. Small edible fruit, edible, but not fully ripe yet. And at least edible for those without food who were in need of something to curb their hunger. Now, much like... Uh, my peach trees at the house right now because it's not time for peaches yet, right? It's not time. It's not the season for peaches. Uh, but I have a peach tree at the house and my peach tree has peaches on it. Now these peaches are really small, okay? They're really small, little little peaches. Now they look like peaches. They're colored like peaches. They have like that peachy color, the red and the yellow and the orange that kind of all like um, just meld into one another. It looks incredible. And even on the outside, if you touch them, because I'm like, are these ready yet, right? But on the outside, when you touch them, they're slightly, slightly loose on the skin. But then underneath, it's very hard, okay? Because it's not the season for peaches. Though there are peaches on it, it's not yet the season for peaches. So the season for peaches, they aren't going to be ready for at least another month, maybe two, right? Um, Same thing for figs, all right? Um, But um, I'll tell you what, though. If I was hungry, right, I had nothing else to eat. I'd eat those things quick. Those peaches on my peach tree in my backyard, I'd eat them quick. Now, there's only a few because it's a brand new tree, right? But uh, I'd eat them quick. Now, this is what we see here happening. It's the same sort of thing. And so he went to it and and inspected it and found nothing to eat. There should have been figs on that tree. Should have been some little small edible fruit. Although not ready, not ripe yet, not the season for figs, should have been something there that was edible. But there wasn't. Now, this is an indictment against the temple and those who set the temple up to be what it currently is. It has the appearance of something on the outside, but it is far different upon further inspection. And we see Jesus undertake that as he goes through his ministry here during this time. As we know, he calls it a den of thieves, a den of thieves or a den of robbers. The Pharisees would be there afterward, right, to witness his anger, his righteous anger against those who had desecrated the temple, which is what we went through last week. And we actually read in Mark chapter 11 that this happens right before this fig tree uh, account happens right before that he goes to the temple to turn over the tables in anger, okay? So this happens right before what we went through last week in, in, in the cleansing of the temple. So um, he rides into Jerusalem on the donkey in the triumphal entry. They say, Hosanna. They throw palm leaves on the road. They, they spread their clothes out on the road. They, the disciples put clothing on the back of the donkey, right, so that he could ride through. Um, he rides through. Hosanna, Hosanna. He goes to the temple, and this is from Mark 11. He goes into the temple, and it's already night, so he doesn't spend a lot of time there, but then he goes out to Bethany, goes to sleep, and then he rides back in, okay? He comes back in the following day, and he's back. He's hungry. He sees the fig tree, and then after cursing it, he goes again to the temple, and then that's when he cleanses the temple. 
all right? And that's when he calls it a den of robbers or a den of thieves, as I like to say. Um, but as he, he's here at the fig tree, he teaches the disciples something incredible about the tree that would directly point to what his thoughts on the temple were, all right? Only leaves but no fruit, the appearance on the outside of being something that, it, that, it, that it's supposed to be, but actually upon further inspection, again, being something quite different. All leaves, no fruit. And this was also in line with what he thought of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribe, the religious Jewish or the Jewish religious elite. You'll hear me say that as well. This is who I'm talking about, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, the one who thought that they had cornered the market on religion, on Judaism, on the people of God. They thought they had cornered the market, but they had added all sorts of other observances, all sorts of other religious customs to the law so that it would benefit them. They had, in essence, branded their own religion. This was no longer the, 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 the faith of God. This was no longer a people seeking after God. It wasn't a people like King David seeking after God, even knowing their own sin and struggling in it, but still repenting, confessing, and coming back to God because they had a heart after God. It was quite different. It was something different. This was, this was no longer what God had designed for the temple and for them. All leaves, no fruit. Now, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, they, they only cared about the letter of the law. The, the, the technicalities of, of outward practices and, and observances and, and ritualistic washings, they cared about the technicalities of the law, and they didn't care one bit about the heart of it. The heart of it. They didn't pay any attention to the heart of the law. They sought to establish their own righteousness. And we're going to read a scripture verse here in a little while. It's going to tell us about that. They sought to establish their own righteousness. And now we know, by extension here today, as Christians reading through the scripture, that we are never to establish our own anything. That what we have established in God is what has been established for the glory of God and the people of God to glorify God. We lean on what has been established through the word of God. We don't try to establish our own philosophies and our own practices and our own observances and our own righteousness. We don't try to do that. Why not? Because we know that we are not fit to do that. We are not designed for it. But uh, these Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes didn't pay any attention to the heart of the law because they were so focused on establishing their own righteousness. It's not the righteousness of God that they sought. They didn't seek the righteousness of God. They sought their own righteousness. They sought their own design. They sought their own way. They sought their own brand. They sought their own stamp. You see, it was their own type of living that they sought to elevate before the eyes of the people. They sought to establish their own righteousness. They sub, uh, to submit to God and his righteousness, though, is what God desires. It's what he requires of his followers. And moreover, it's, it's, it's the heartfelt desire of his followers to delight in his law. All right? 
That's, that's the difference there, is we're not working out our salvation because we're trying to make it up to God. We're not working out our salvation so that uh, we can become righteous before his eyes. We learn that it is no work of our own that makes us righteous. It is actually the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. It's given to us. We are getting into the grace of God and, and, and on the account of Jesus Christ. We're getting in on his work. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel is that we can't work for salvation. It is the grace of God that saves us, the gift of God, the undeserved gift of God, where he looks upon us and calls us to himself so that we would believe in Jesus Christ and be saved eternally. Now, the people of God, we're not following God so that we can be good enough. Actually, if we follow God, it's because we know that we are not good enough. We know that he is, but we are not. He is, but I am not. And that's something that we can always say when we're in a struggle. We can say, he is the answer, but I am not. And this is freeing to say it. It is absolute freedom in Christ to be able to declare the glory of God, that he is righteous, that he is good, and that we are not. And we are nothing without him. But in him, we can attain to the righteousness of Christ because of the imputed righteousness of God given to those who believe in Jesus Christ. You see, the righteousness of God that God desires, or that God requires, rather, in order to be in his presence, is given it is given to believers because of God's grace, his love for those whom he's called to his side. You see, it's the heartfelt desire of his followers to submit to the will and the righteousness of God. We desire it. We crave it. We crave the will of God. We crave what he desires. We crave it down at the bottom of who we are. We crave it like the psalmist craves it. And I want to read something to you. This is Psalm 1, and this is verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. I want to read that again, y'all. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, whose law? Man's law? The Pharisaical law? Absolutely not, church. In the law of God. On his law. Again, verse 2, the second part. He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers now think about that in context with what we're reading today about the tree being in leaf but having no fruit not bearing fruit he says here its leaf does not wither we hear in this uh, story that Jesus himself effectively and miraculously withers the tree. He curses it and it withers at once. It dies. He says in all that he does, he prospers. Well, we hear that this tree is not prospering anymore. Why not? Because it's dead. It has no life anymore. No fruit, no life. And Jesus just clears up the appearance problem 
the disciples may have and that we have each and every day. A lot of times we can be in this life thinking that the world has the answers or that Hollywood has the answers or that, you know, so-and-so down the street has the answers or that baby girl's got the answers or that this dude's got the answers. And so I need to be, you know, Jesus has the answers, y'all. Jesus has the answers. Jesus has the answers. I can't say that enough. Jesus has the answers. He has the answer to eternal life. He has the answer for eternal life. He has the answer for salvation. He has the answer that you need, that you've been seeking deep down inside of who you are since the day that you were born. You've been seeking after a relationship, a connection with the God of all creation. And he's called you to his side and he wants you to be fruit bearing. But we can bear no fruit apart from him as we read in John 15. You see, the will and the righteousness of God is where we prosper. The will and the righteousness of God is where we prosper. It's where we are fruitful. It's where we go to war in the spirit. It is where we arm ourselves and it is where we will rest in the truth of God. We delight in the ways of God. If we belong to God, we delight in his law. We delight in his ways. We delight in the truth. If we belong to God, the truth of God sings through our soul as we hear it. It's those wonderful times that you hear the gospel preach and you're like, amen, baby. Because I need to hear it every day, y'all. I told you this before. You know this about me, you know. I need to hear the gospel. I need it. Each and every day I need to be reminded that he is and I am not. Why? So that I can go to him when I have questions. So that I can lean on him and not on my own understanding, but his wisdom. Because my understanding is not wisdom in and of myself, in my flesh. I have no wisdom, no knowledge. And we'll hear that in a little while here about the Jews that, that Paul speaks about. But us followers of God, we delight, we love the ways of God, the commands of God, we love them. We are obedient because we love, but those who don't delight in the law of God will find themselves delighting instead in the law of themselves, the law of man, the ways of the world. They will seek to establish their own righteousness and they will fall because of it. And that's not where we want to be, y'all. We don't want to be anywhere near that. We don't want to get far away from that. And I urge you to do that this morning. To leave the law of man, to find yourself wrapped up in the glory of God because of his grace and the love of Jesus Christ to save. You see, um, these own uh, quote unquote self-righteous, they will try their hand at playing God all on their own or even collectively as a group, as they seek their own position and they seek their own authority on life and salvation. But this is not God's way. It is not God's way. Jesus is God's way. Let me read this to you. John 14, 6. Jesus said to to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is one of my favorite Bible verses. 
And it is one of the favorite pieces of scripture and truth that we could ever hear. Jesus is the way. And though Jesus is the way, and God set this in stone as the truth that would bring those who truly seek after God to his glorious throne in confidence, there would still be those who would reject the truth of God. And we know that we see it every day. There's people, that's why we preach to people because there are those who reject and we don't want them to reject. We want them to accept. We want them to know the truth about God, who he is, the power of the cross, the power of his salvation so that they would know the love of God. But there would be those still who would reject the truth of God and there would still be those who seek to establish their own righteousness, one where they would set the rules on their own and interpret the rules on their own to suit their own lives. And this, in effect, would make them judge and jury of their own lives and would give them total authority on how to live life. And that's what they wanted. They wanted the power They were prideful and puffed up in ambition and pride. They fell. Their fatal flaw was that they didn't consult God on this. They left him out. And because operating outside of the will of God is to operate in darkness, they could not even see the truth about their situation. They couldn't see the truth standing right in front of them as Jesus walked the earth and taught about the grace of the kingdom of God, that truth was hidden from them. You see, the grace of the kingdom says that it is not our own rule following that gets us to God. His grace does that. Not our own rule following His grace It is not our own rule making that sets us apart as people of God. It's our faith in Jesus that does that. And there are no works that any human being can ever do to get into the good graces of God or to make up to God for the things that we've done wrong. God's own grace and his own work do that. Y'all, stop trying to make it up to God when you fail. Confess, repent, and come back to the Lord and live your life. This is what we need. We don't need to beat ourselves up over the head every time we make a mistake. We also don't need to think that we need to make it up to God somehow, like as if we could ever when we make a mistake. God asks us to confess because he is a forgiving God, knowing that we are forgiven, forgiven, that we confess. We are forgiven and we repent. We turn back to him and live our lives for him. We rededicate if that's what we need to do. But we go to God in prayer, in humble submission, we go to him. And we realize all the while that he was calling us there. And that is a beautiful thing. As we hear the voice of God in his own word. Paul quickly dismantles the position of the Pharisees and the religious Jewish elite in this passage of Romans uh, 10 that I'm going to read. Uh, Really, he dismantles the position of the Jews as a whole with this. Now, Romans 10, starting in verse 1, listen to this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jews. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. 
they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Woo! There it is right there. Their zeal, their want to, their drive, their ambition, their heart is not knowledgeable. It has knowledge, but not according to the knowledge of God. They don't have the right belief. They believe in something, but that something is not the right thing. They believe in themselves, really, because they're establishing their own righteousness. As we hear again in verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, their own what? Righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. And that's what we need. We need to be submissive. We need to submit to God and his righteousness. You see, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, because their knowledge is wrong and their zeal is misplaced. They are ignorant of the real righteousness of God because of their own man-made, self-interested, man-made, self-interested righteousness. Their own righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law. Again in verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Whoo! Now that's beauty right there. That is beauty. And I want to unpack that a little bit. He is the end of the law for righteousness uh, to everyone who believes. The end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Why? Now, is this because the law isn't important? They were not supposed to follow the law anymore. I don't want you to believe that. I'm not saying that. The law is still here. It has not passed away. The law, the way God wrote it and gave it, is still very much in place. It is in place and has been fulfilled by Jesus, okay? It hasn't been done away with. It's been fulfilled. Those are different things. Once we believe in Jesus, we have come to the end of the law. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So if we are trying to become righteous by the law, Christ is the end of that. So we believe in Christ, then we can stop trying to be righteous by obeying the law. But the law is still very much in place because those who don't believe in Jesus are condemned by it. Our faith in Jesus has brought us to the end of the law. If we don't believe, again, the law is what condemns us. That's important to know. It's the fact that we can't measure up to the law, that we know we need help from God in order to be in right standing with him. And I don't know how many times I've read over the scripture in the Old Testament law, in the Levitical law. Man, there's a lot in there. And I know just from reading it that there's no way that I could do all that. There's no way that I could keep up with it. There's no way I could be right. And there's no way by keeping it that I would make myself righteous because I can't keep it. So therefore, I can't make myself righteous. And if I need to be righteous in order to be in the presence of God, then something else has to happen. Something else has to take place because I don't have what it takes. And that's what the law shows us. The law is that mirror that we look into where we see our own reflection and see how much we need God. If God requires perfection, we can easily look into the mirror and see that we are not perfect in life. And this is the freedom of God. Y'all, knowing that you are not the answer is freedom because then you stop looking to yourself for those answers. Knowing that the world is not the answer is freedom, y'all, because then you stop looking to the world for answers. Knowing that your, your spouse or your children or your family or the supermarket or shopping or cars or homes or jobs or money is not the answer is freedom because then you know that you need to look somewhere else. 
And I'm here to tell you today that that somewhere else is Jesus. Look to Jesus because he's there. He's, you've been called by the Father and given over into his hand. All you need to do is believe. Will you believe in Jesus because he's calling you to himself? Y'all, the law is a mirror that shows us our own imperfection and we need that freedom. We need it. We need it to live. I pray that you have it this morning. I pray that you have that this morning. Let me read something else to you. I mean, let's move right along. Matthew 5 and verse 17 tells us, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now this is Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount. Incredible sermon, right? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is why I say that the law is not gone. It's not, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. All has not been accomplished yet. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whew. So here again, we see that the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees wasn't a righteousness uh, that... that it, or it was, it was a righteousness that we don't want any part of, okay? That, that, that's, we don't want any part of that scribe, Pharisee, uh, Sadducee, righteousness. We, we don't want any of that, that because their belief was misplaced, y'all. Their belief was misplaced. We don't want to have misplaced belief, right? We, we don't want that. We want our belief to be rightly placed. And it's only rightly placed if it's placed in Jesus Christ. We don't want to make up our own rules so we can fail at those two because let's, let's, have, let's not be under any kind of delusion, all right? Let's not have an illusion right in front of our eyes as it pertains to our own life. Even if we set the standard, we're not going to meet it. You know that. How many times have you told yourself, man, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to start next week. Man, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, a couple days in your diet or a week in or a month in, no more diet, or how many times you started the gym, or how many times you said, I'll never do that again, and all of a sudden you find yourself right back in the same place. How many times do you ever, I can go on and on and on. We cannot even meet our own standard. And I've said this before, but it bears saying again, let's not be under any false pretenses about who we are, okay? Even if we set the rules, we're still going to break them. And then because we set them, we're going to think that we have the license to break them. Well, this is what's happened. This is what's happened with the Jewish people. This is what's happened with their leaders have led them astray and they've willingly followed. We don't want any part of that belief. We don't want any part of their brand of righteousness because it was not righteousness. They touted their imperfection. I don't want to get twisted on it. I don't want you to get twisted either because there is a danger in thinking that we're something we're not. They, they, they couldn't even adhere to their own standard, but their, their, their punishment for not following their own brand of religion, remember, because they were the authority on it, they had set up their, their own righteousness, but their punishment for not following their own brand of religion was definitely not the same as what God 
would do what God had already established. This effectively makes them, again, the judge and jury of their own lives, and this is the danger. When you become the judge and jury, you are trying your hand at playing God. Don't do it. Run from that. Resist it. Resist it. Don't do it. If you ever feel the desire to make up your own, own way, don't do it. Resist it. Don't play God. Not in your life, not in anyone else's life. Because as we know, this life with God is not a game. So don't attempt to play a game with him. The beauty of God is that once we believe in Jesus, this is the end of the law for us because it has been fulfilled. It has been fulfilled in Christ. It has been fulfilled in Christ. At the cross, he said, it is finished. The work for salvation was done. It's the end of the law, as the scripture says, because now the law is in us, not because the law is over, because the law is in us now. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God has gifted us with the law in us. The law in us. It's part of who you are. It's that mirror that you have on the inside. It's the conscience, the gladly, or the, I'm sorry, the godly conscience that you gladly weigh good and bad with. It's how you know what to do in your life. It's being led by God, led by the Spirit of God. Why? Because the law is in you, and you delight in that law. It's no longer something to look at from the outside and try to adhere to so that we can get into right standing with God because this law is in us now, church. It's in us. It's not something we do so that we can have our sins forgiven. It's something that we do because our sins are forgiven, and now because we believe in Jesus and our sins are forgiven, we now have the law living in us. Instead, it's part of our essence as believers. It's part of our essence. Whew. There is a desire that we have as the people of God to live out the commands of God in our lives. There, this is our desire as people being changed to become what God desires from us. We are being changed to become that which God desires. That which God desires, we are being changed to become that. How? How is this happening? How are we being changed? The Holy Spirit. God living in us. The Holy Spirit that binds us together as a church. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to all who believe. All who believe in Jesus now have the indwelling Holy Spirit as the beautiful gift of God. It is part of the grace of God. It is a wonderful element of it that we get to have God living in us. He changes us from the inside. He changes us, our psyche, our conscience. He changes us. Our desires are changed. Our mind is renewed. We are transformed. And this is something that all who believe in Jesus Christ will experience. We will all experience this. I want to read something to you. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33 says this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. 
from the least, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Let me read that verse again, 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Listen, listen to that promise, y'all. We are gifted with the law of God on our hearts, knowing what to do what God desires, what he requires, how to live for him. This is how we know how to live. The law of God on our hearts. How? Because the Holy Spirit is within us. And it's God's law. The Pharisees didn't have this. Why? Because of their unbelief. Their unbelief drove them to establish a righteousness of their own. Paul tells us in Romans 10, let us not establish our own righteousness, church. If our own morality and ideas about how to treat people come from the world or from ourselves outside of Christ, then we need to be changed because that's not the way. The true right and wrong life can only come from the one who designed it. Who designed life? God designed life. And more than that, our value can always be seen and confirmed. Our values, they can always be seen and confirmed through the pages of Scripture. Let me tell you something. This changed me. You want to know how to live? It's simple. I tell you right now, if you want to know how to live, do you want the answer? Do you want that answer? Because I wanted that answer bad. I wanted to know how to live because my my life was terrible. I was living a bad life, awful life, among the worst lives you could ever live in this world, in this existence. As a human being, I was barely one. I was barely human, living the type of life I did. But this one truth changed me. You want to know how to live, church? Read the scripture. And listen to God, because he will tell you how to live. When I realized that that was the truth, it was one of the most beautiful days of my life. Because the scripture of God changed me. I sought the truth of God and he unleashed it in my heart. All this to say that the fig tree was an analogy of the temple that had the appearance of being what God had asked them to build initially, but had become a den of robbers, a den of thieves. In reality, it bears no resemblance at this time. In Jesus' time, that temple bared no resemblance to what he intended for it. And now it was cursed. There would be no more fruit from it. It was in leaf, but had no fruit. All leaves, no fruit. It had the walls and the altar but it did not have the heart. And how or why would it be cursed like the fig tree? Well, because since the beginning, when the law of God isn't followed, the curse comes down on us, y'all, just like it did in the Garden of Eden. They were cursed. The land was cursed. Earth was cursed. Thorns and thistles, part of that curse. He did it in the Garden of Eden, and he does it here because of the law, because of what it means not to believe, because of what it means to establish their own righteousness. This is evidence that the law has not been abolished, 
but fulfilled like Matthew 5 says, or like Jesus says in Matthew 5, to those who believe in Jesus, the fulfillment of the law is the beautiful reality that we live in as it has brought us to the end of the law. But the law is now in our hearts as our guideline and the Holy Spirit is our guide. I want to say that again, church. The law is now in our hearts as our guideline and the Holy Spirit is our guide. And amen for that, right? Think about it. We have not come to a point where we can say if the law was abolished and the law was no more. Okay, so yeah, we don't have to worry about not murdering anymore. Uh, we, we, I mean, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if we murder. It doesn't matter if we cheat or tell lies or steal. It doesn't matter anymore because Jesus has come and fulfilled the law. That, does, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Actually, to the contrary, that stuff still does matter because we know that we will not murder. We should not murder. We will not lie. We should not lie. And we should not steal. And we will not steal. And, and, and cheating and all, everything else is part of the command and the law of God. We're not going to do these things. Why? Because it's on our heart. It's part of our conscience, our desire now has been changed and we are becoming more and more like Christ as we are being sanctified and set apart for his glory. We are being changed from the inside. Our desires are different, y'all. Our desires are different. Why? Because the law of God is on our hearts. The law of God is on our hearts. You see, um, our opportunity in this life is to be who we're supposed to be in Christ. That's our opportunity. We cannot fall into the trap of making our own righteousness, making our own rules, living life by our own standards. We can't fall into that trap. We cannot fall into the trap of thinking that we have it all together and that we've done enough in our lives to be with God. Don't fall in that trap either, church. Don't fall in it. We need to be at the point in our lives where we know that we need God now as much as we ever have. Are you at that point in your life? Do you know right now, right now, where you sit or lay down or whatever it is you're doing, do you know that you need God now as much as you ever have? I promise you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know that to be true. I know as I stand here today, church, I need God more in this moment or just as much in this moment as I ever have. I need him. And I want to need him. My desire is to need him. That's the law of God on my heart. And that is my guideline. And the Holy Spirit is my guide showing me that that's the truth. I pray that that is the truth for you. Or, I'm sorry, I pray that you know that's the truth. Because truth doesn't change, does it? I pray you know that's the truth. I pray that's been revealed to you. That you know it's the truth. The fig tree, an analogy of the temple, was right in line with what would happen just a short time later when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And during that time, from when Jesus cursed it, cursed the fig tree, said that there was no fruit, after he goes to the fig tree, goes down to the temple, right? He drives out the, or he, he uh, turns over the tables of the money changers and those people who were selling pigeons, right? He does all this. Why? Because there's no fruit. Because it's all leaves, no fruit. Because it's... Uh, all adherences, it's, 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 it's all uh, religious, it's, it's no heart. They were trying to uh, adhere to the technicalities and the observances of the law while ignoring, absolutely ignoring the heart of it. They didn't care about the people, they cared about themselves. There was no fruit, there never would be again. But then Jesus turns faith 
He turns to faith in the next few verses here. Verse 20 of Matthew 21, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. You see, they marvel at the sight of the miraculous destruction of the Lord Jesus Christ on that fig tree. Think about it. This is the only miracle that you'll ever see where God uses his miraculous powers for destruction. And he points them to believe with these powers. We must know that the harsh reality of a life without God is being destroyed forever and we don't want that for ourselves and we shouldn't want that for anybody else. This is why we tell people about Jesus. This is why we point people to the faith that we enjoy in Jesus Christ because we're pointing them to have their own faith in Jesus Christ that they would be saved forever because the glory of God in salvation is with this in mind that we need to be saved from wrath. We don't ever know we don't ever know that we need to be saved if we aren't given the law as a mirror to look into. And we don't know that we need a savior unless we know that we need to be saved, y'all. And then we don't even know that what we're being saved from unless we are told and shown. And this is what Christ does. Because they see the curse of Jesus Christ come upon the very life of something that nobody on earth has power over, this fig tree. They know that this power doesn't exist anywhere else on their planet at their, in their time. They know there's nothing that's ever been done like this. Nobody has power over the natural world the way Jesus just displayed power. He showed power over the natural. He curses this fig tree. He withers it right before their eyes. It had life. It seemed to have life. And he pointed out that actually because it wasn't fruitful, there was no reason for life. And so he withers it right before their eyes. They know that this power doesn't exist anywhere else except right before their eyes in the person of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would know that power. Jesus commands it and it is right before their eyes, their minds and their hearts as they saw this must have been on fire. I know that my mind and my heart are on fire just reading about, reading about it. And I know if, if, if I was in that situation, I would have been on fire for it. And he points them to faith. He points them to the power in him. The Holy Spirit, he points them to God. He points them to believe. He points them to faith. He calls them out of an unfruitful existence and into a life of faith. He's calling you to the same. Out of an unfruitful existence and into a life of faith. Let's learn to see the hand of God in our lives every step of the way. Would you do that? Can we do that together? Even as we get hungry and as we travel, even as we approach God in prayer, may we see him calling us there. Let us walk away from the life of setting our own standard and establishing our own righteousness. And I pray that we would always walk away from any traps being set before us that would call us to set up our own rules and set our own standard on living. Let's live for God. Let's live as Jesus lived. Let's live out that righteous life that he calls us to. Let's pray.
God, we love you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for saving us, rescuing us, Lord, from damnation, from a life without you, a life of destruction. And even here on this earth, Lord, a life of timidity, a life without peace, and a life without an eternal hope. We thank you for calling us to a life with hope. God, I pray that you would make us alive. I pray that we would exist with you forever, Lord, that you would call us to yourself, call us out of the destitute places of life into your own righteousness. Lord, I pray that everyone listening would believe in your name, would believe in you for life and salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would do that here now in this moment, that you would call on him and that he would save you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we profess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we're saved. So I ask that you would profess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you would believe in your heart, that that profession from your lips would come from a belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead and that you would be saved. I pray that you would call on him here and now. If that's you, we'd love to hear about it. Contact us through our website at firstbaptistap.com. Contact us through our, uh, 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 our page where you can contact us in our, in our prayer sheet where our prayer uh, uh, requests are at. Listen, get a hold of us somehow through Facebook Messenger. Let us know that that's you because we'd love to hear about it. We'd love to celebrate that with you. And we'd also, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're from here, if, if you're with us here at First Baptist in Aransas, Pastor from the surrounding area, we'd love to, to talk to you about baptism and what all that entails and what that means. Listen, we love you. We love you. God bless you. Go in peace.